Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Thank you so much for your patience as we did the two-part Barbieheimer experience for Final Cut the last couple weeks. Hopefully you check that out. We had the lovely Kristen Pignolo on. It was a great time, but we are back playing games, different games, in fact, than Walter and I have ever played on this podcast before. And I do mean Walter C80's Fedchuck when I refer to my, my lovely co-host here. Walter, how you doing? I am doing very well. It's been, uh, you know, you would think that when you take a month off of doing a video game podcast and you're like, oh, I got to play a video game, you would pick some long, crazy epic. You'd pick something like a Baldur's Gate 3. You would pick something like, I don't know, God of War 18. Like you pick something long. And no, for this episode, the game I played is like an hour and a half long game. And that's what you all have been waiting a month for is to hear me talk about a game that took me... <laughs> slightly longer than this podcast is going to be uh but other than that i mean things have been good We're, you're you're catching me at kind of a, an in-between time here because uh uh i have yet to watch SummerSlam that just happened uh, a few days ago as we're recording uh and all in and all out have not yet happened for aew those are at the end of august so actually right around uh close to when this episode is going to come out um, other than that, I mean, preseason, I haven't seen the Bills play the Colts yet because that preseason game hasn't happened yet. It's, I'm kind of in a holding pattern, Chase. I mean, who watches the preseason though, right? Like preseason playoffs is specifically for people who just desperately need to have anything to watch on television and for the people who are actually competing for a roster spot. I don't care what happens over the preseason. It's not going to reflect anything that affects my team when the time comes. I I don't know. I I, I guess I'm a, a preseason hater, so to speak, but it just feels kind of crazy that every year football fans try to talk themselves into the idea that preseason's actually going to be fun and interesting, you guys, and it is neither fun nor interesting at any point in the history of preseason existence. See, here's the thing, Chase. You clearly are the fan of a, of a football team that has been good at some point in the last, like, 30 years, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, at last some 30 points, years, yes. 30 years, I'm giving you a long yeah. breadth of time here because you guys have had some exciting moments and I can understand why you as an Atlanta Falcons fan might not want to see is Dave Esmond rather Edder, Desmond Ritter actually a starting quarterback in the NFL. I can understand that. But if you don't watch the preseason and you aren't a rabid Bills fan like myself, how else would you watch Christian Wade, the rugby player that we used as our international player that didn't count as a practice squad spot. How else would you watch him score a 75-yard touchdown on his first carry like three years ago? Raheem Blackshear exploded onto the map and we had to cut him at the end of preseason last year. And there were Bills fans going, hey, maybe he should be our starting running back next year. He's not. We cut him. And I think he ended up signing with the Giants um, after Barkley got injured. But, you know, hey, it's neither here nor there. If you're watching preseason football, it's because you're just so desperate for football that you're willing to watch anything. Uh, and considering the U.S. women's team is out of the Women's World Cup, it's still baseball season and it's not playoff baseball season. There's really not much to watch in terms of sports right now. So you know what? Yeah, I'll settle down on my couch. I'll turn on Channel 5, local CBS affiliate. I'll get crack open a nice uh, Genesee Kolsch 
and I'll watch my Buffalo Bills second-string quarterback and third-string quarterback play against the fourth-string defensive lineman for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm absolutely okay with that. But Chase, if you aren't <laughs> watching preseason football, what have you been up to outside of watching two movies that we talked about? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I've just watched every Falcons player I cared about get injured in random preseason games for no reason. And I can't watch baseball because the Los Angeles Angels are wasting the greatest baseball player to ever play the game from a raw talent perspective. And it breaks my goddamn heart. Um, so instead, I, I'm gonna, I've been reading comics, man. I've been, I've been getting into uh, some of the Marvel stuff that's been going on recently. I, I've got Marvel Unlimited. Uh, which is a service that I've had for a while and have occasionally even used. Um, but I was visiting my parents out in California a couple weeks ago, and I wanted something that could be relatively low econ, but still keep me engaged, right? I want something to do, but if someone wants to talk to me randomly, like if you know my mom has a task she wants me to help out with in the kitchen, I want to be able to put that down and not feel like I'm disrupting the flow of whatever I'm doing. And comics are a really nice space for that. Um, they are obviously, as with any uh, medium of storytelling, you, you could argue that comics are the wrestling of literature and that there's always new stuff going on. Characters go in and out. They have heel turns, face turns. Um, and, and depending on the writers at the time, you can feel very differently about a character you might otherwise like or hate. Um, and, and Marvel is no exception to that. Um, the new Ghost Rider book they've got going on, I'm having a great time with so far. Moon Knight, fantastic. All in on Moon Knight. Thor? There are some writers who really think that comics were better 30 years ago on Thor, and they're wrong. Uh, they're incorrect, um, and I don't need that many words on a page. That's why this is a comic book. Um so certainly some ups and downs, but I've been uh, enjoying trying something new, you know? That's awesome. I, I, I guess you brought up kind of what your, your favorites and Lee's favorites have been, but is, is, there, is there a particular character that has like stood out to you that you were surprised you actually enjoyed reading about them or you might want to try and get into some of their, you know, more like their solo comic strain or anything like that? I mean, I've always been of the belief that Moon Knight is the greatest comic book hero of all time because he's Batman if Batman was fucking insane. Like, straight up split personality disorder, worshipping an ancient Egyptian god that sometimes tries to destroy the world, but other times is just a creepy motherfucker. Uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, Moon Knight is, is so fun. And almost every run that has ever existed of Moon Knight has some really interesting creative writers or some very interesting artists um, there are a bunch of runs that I can recommend in Moon Knight, um, though the modern one right now is very good. Um, I, I will say, I think that the trend for me, um, if you're going to give me a comic, right, I, I want it to be something that is uh, out of out of the normal world. Right. Let's let's be exceptional. Let's be weird. Um, and I also find myself, you know, as someone who hates horror films and horror television shows, the dark side of comics is actually a lot more reasonable for me. Um, and I don't know if it's just because of the pacing of it, the fact that I am fully in control, you know, I can put down a book at any time. Um, but I, I am enjoying the weird, dark, paranormal side of things much more than like the 
Spider-Mans of the world. I don't really read Spider-Man. I don't read the X-Men, um, but I'm really enjoying Venom and Carnage's bullshit. Um, those characters are fucking insane. Um, Carnage is just straight up right at this. I, and I'm not fully up to date. I'm catching up on the last couple of years. So don't go ping me with a bunch of spoilers. But right now, Carnage the symbiote is trying to recruit a serial killer kind of to his cause. And uh, the good guy cop that was chasing him down is now bonded with the previous serial killer that Carnage was paired with. And it's fucking batshit. They're currently killing some dark elves. It's a great time. Um, but you know, Walter, they're uh, killing dark <laughs> elves. Yeah, Malekith's gonna get his shit kicked in by uh, Carnage. That's where that's at. Which, to what be fair, fuck? we watched the Dark World. I get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 before we transition, though, I do have one question. By all means, have you run across the Dracula "Where's My Fucking Money" panel yet in your Moon Knight reading? I have come across it uh, previously. Okay. Um, I will say I'm I'm 95% sure that it has been edited slightly, the, the meme compared to what was there. It's not that different. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. But, but look, he, he did have at one point recently, like a whole bunch of vampires come into town um, and he set off the sprinkler system, then blessed all of the water. So they all start melting Hell and he yeah. pulls over one of the Transylvanian representatives and is like, tell Dracula to stay the fuck out of New York. And you're like, <laughs> hell yeah, that's right. <laughs> Stick it to the, the Dracula, who is a Marvel character because of course he is. Oh, man. that's amazing. So good. Um, but you know what else is amazing, Walter? Video games, the thing that we're here to talk about today. Uh, and you've got a pretty interesting game from what I've heard. Uh, what have you been playing recently? Uh, I have been playing Behind the Frame, The Finest Scenery. And when I say I have been playing, I should, I should preface this and say I played this in one afternoon. Um, this is a game that, Chase, if I tell you it's like unboxing, would it surprise you that I played it? It would not surprise me. I, I I still look at unboxing as one of those games that I absolutely need to get to. But the contemplative life sim seems to be, or not sim because that implies like a sim style thing, but like a slice of life kind of story seems to be your your jam. Yeah. So what if I told you, what if you took unboxing, but you made it about an artist and it's an art style like a Studio Ghibli film. I would say I need to ping Shay right now, a friend of the podcast, because that sounds dope and very much his thing. Exactly. It is It is not something that I think I would initially write off the cuff if I was going through a hundred video games and be like, oh, I absolutely am going to play that game. And, and folks, I'm just going to spoil it right now. I really, really liked this game. But get to the end, listen to the entire review, because there's, there's a bit more to it than just I really liked this game. Um... I got it out of a humble bundle. I think it was from June. It was from July, I, I believe. And I had been going through, and I usually let my humble bundle bundles stack up, you know, a couple of months, and then I spend fifteen minutes adding all of the games to my Steam library, or discovering I already own that game, and now I have to figure out who I'm going to give this uh, this you know code to, or throw it into a Google Doc for you know another day for Walter to handle it. And as I was going through, I was picking out some games that looked interesting, 
And I don't know why, but the fact that this game was compared to unpacking in the like Steam recommendations, I said, oh yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll throw that in my, you know, potential to playlist. And it was just, I had a day, I had an afternoon and I was like, let me give this game a, sh a shot because it looks, it looks quick, right? It looks calming. It looks relaxing. It looks like I don't need to use any, any of my brain power. I don't need to be ripping apart, uh, you know, uh, skeleton warriors like I was in God of War. Like this looks like something I can just relax with. And the other reference I can put here is imagine if you could play a video game set in that lo-fi beats to study to YouTube video. Okay. What if the video game was that? And you just, you like inserted yourself into that world and you just got to be that person doing day-to-day -day tasks. And ultimately as the sort of plot is for this game, you are finishing an art piece for a gallery submission. Um, and that is kind of the premise of this, uh, of this storyline. I think I've won you over so far. I, I, I don't think I can say anything else at this point to get you like more invested into the game. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very interesting. I'm looking at the shots on, on Steam and it looks gorgeous. Like the Studio Ghibli comparison is on point um, for anyone who uh, really enjoys that style. I am kind of curious as far as like, the gameplay of it all, um, because it's described on here as a puzzle game. Um, what are the kinds of puzzles that you're solving here? Is it um, like more of just an abstract, like painting the thing to get it to come out exactly the way you want? Or is there an actual puzzle mechanic that's driving your moment to moment experience? So I would say there are, there are a number of the puzzles that are just like paint the thing and, you know, something opens up. The, the core thing being you paint something on some of the paintings that are on the wall. And lo and behold, there's something behind the frame, right? There's a little compartment that like pops open and it gives you either a piece to another puzzle. It gives you your paint because you only start um, with one of your paint colors and you have to kind of find the rest as you progress through the, the story in the multiple chapters. Um, but a lot of the puzzle is finding what's missing in the painting or using context clues from um from um oh my god i can't remember the word little videos <laughs> that are happening okay. the cutscenes cutscenes the, the vignettes vignettes cutscenes yeah. Cut yeah from those and like one of them is like oh there's a painting of a cat you have to figure out what spots are missing on the cat, right? And it's very, it's like very obvious. This is a very, very obvious puzzle. The second you see the cat and you see the the picture of it, you're gonna be like, oh, I know exactly what spots I have to paint in. And then that's a puzzle. But then there's other ones where it's, you know, you have to, you're finding all over the, the apartment that you're in because you're pretty much set in your, your one studio apartment that this artist is living in, you know, as you walk through the space and you click on different things, all of a sudden there is a chapter where you have to go to like multiple parts of the apartment, figure out smaller little puzzles to figure out a larger puzzle that then like moves you on to the next part of the chapter. Um, so I, I jokingly said to my partner, like, hey, if you like coloring books, like a lot of the puzzles are coloring books here. 
Um, and it, it's very forgiving and like, you don't have to draw the thing exactly to the pixel as it's supposed to be. If you give it a general idea, the game is like, congratulations, you did the thing. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna frustrate you here by like making you draw a perfect circle or something like that. Y- yeah, you got it. You, you, you yeah. get the, the gist here. It's an egg, but like, yeah, that's a circle. I'll give you that. <laughs> so... I, I guess with with a game like that, right? Because um, there's a, a game that's name I am forgetting right now, which is how you can tell that it went really well and I had a really great time with it. Uh, it was that Russian short story game. Yes. Um, yes. And I I find that that kind of slice of life thing, it, it really does need something to compel the narrative forward and to keep you engaged in it because the puzzles are obviously not designed to break your brain, right? They're not pushing you and challenging you in that traditional game's mindset. So you need to be connected to the people that you're following and the thing that they're trying to do. So obviously, given the artistic theme, I imagine there's a lot of strong art that makes itself clear throughout. But how does the the game kind of connect you to the character uh, herself that you're playing and the world around her? So again, really like your only setting really is the the studio apartment that she's in and what she can see out her window where there's a, an old man, another a painter, artist that lives across uh, the street and he has a cat. And there are a couple of moments where, you know, you open your window and you look out and, you know, you sketch some things, right? Uh, you sketch the uh the 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 painter as he's sitting at his easel and what he's doing you there's a moment where the cat is laying very very cute so you sketch that in your little sketchbook as you're drinking your coffee to sort of get your character's creative juices flowing uh, and like the entire story revolves around finding out who this character Jay is right um because it the game starts and at some point you receive a note when you open up one of these paintings and it, it, you know, says something and it says, you know, and it just like finishes with J, you know, a little dash and a J. And that's sort of what's compelling you forward, not just, you know, getting the additional paints that you need to finish this piece for your gallery submission, but also figuring out who Jay is. And then the second day you, you know, wake up and, uh, you know, apparently the neighbor's cat has gotten into your apartment and has left little pink, you know, paint paw prints all over the place. So you're like following the path that the cat went through some of these puzzles. And that leads you, you know, further into this overall story because there are these cutscenes, there are these vignettes, and there are these paintings that are in your apartment that tell a story together, right? I, I really don't want to spoil too much because this is a, a very short game. Like this is a two hour experience essentially and i really don't want to give it away because again i'm spoiling the ending here for for the review but like i highly recommend this game maybe on sale just because it's you know it's ten dollars and for it to only be two hours that's a little much for some people um i'm sorry it's thirteen dollars but you you progress through this and there is enough there there is this sort of mystery of what is going on and there's these events that kind of keep pushing this mystery and pushing this mystery and pushing this. And I found it incredibly compelling and wanted to figure it out. Um, 
with you know with there being very basic gameplay these are not complex puzzles they are relatively easy uh to figure out once you sort of get the gist of what they're trying to do although there was one puzzle that i i just like blatantly couldn't figure out how to do it because every time i would go into the area that had the like clue that i needed i just didn't see the clue and it's not because it wasn't there it was it was sitting there on the floor i just as I was looking around, there's nothing, there's nothing conspicuous about it. There is nothing that points to it and says, hey, this is the clue you're looking for. You completely will gloss over it. Um, but yeah, like the story somehow was very compelling. The music was very jazzy, lo-fi, relaxing. And it just, the game just kept propelling me forward by being a very relaxing and, and wonderful experience. That sounds very nice. Um, you know, it, it's always funny to talk about these things from a critical perspective, right? Because it's a pleasant, good time is a nice sentiment. But for a follow-up question, right? Like, because it was an hour and a half, I don't want to ask you how it ends because I want people to go play it. I, I, I guess, like, is there anything that you would change or that you would like to see if they did a follow-up to the story, or is this the best version of what it could be? Because it definitely won some awards for its excellence and its visual art and its design, um, but, you know, some, some game reviewers, it can go up and down. So what? Uh, where did you kind of end up on that front? I, one, I don't think there's any, like, I, you could do something similar to this story, right? You know, similar design, but there's, like, no sequel. You can't write a sequel to this. You can't do behind-the-frame, finest scenery, like, two it's just never gonna happen based on the experience um but there's got to be another artist that you could follow with a similar like concept right like this this seems like it's got sure you you could creators sure you could but i think part of the problem with that is that this story and this game much like unboxing feels brutally personal um I, I again as we're sort of getting to the end of the review i cried at the end of this game i cried and i've admitted that there's been a couple of times that there's been media that ha that has made me cry the beginner's guide uh you know everything everywhere all at once like the ending of this made me cry because of how personal, not necessarily that it reminded me of something personal in my life, like the beginner's guide or everything everywhere all up, everything everywhere all at once does, but that this felt like someone completely opening their heart, completely opening their diary, opening a window into their soul and telling this story. And if they didn't, you know, if the people behind this didn't experience this themselves as they wrote it or as they designed it or the head writer didn't experience this then they have an incredible grasp on this kind of emotional narrative storytelling and the utilization of the gameplay mechanics that they did to craft something just utterly incredible um there is no but here for me right i guess the but is yeah you're gonna play it once like, you're going to play it once. It's going to take you an hour and a half to two hours. I would say wait for it to be a nice rainy day outside. I know you live in, L in L.A. and that never happens. So I guess you'll <laughs> never play this game. But 
wait for it to be, you know, a nice rainy day as fall's coming up. Make yourself a nice cup of tea and and hop on your switch, hop on your your uh your game gear, hop on your um on your computer and just give it a couple of hours like you would a movie or you would a book or or treat it like that. Um because I I truly believe this is a very very beautiful experience. Uh and and I I really hope other people play it. Um and I have no shame in saying that the ending made me cry because it is a very beautiful ending and it's a very beautiful story. Um and that's what compelled me and that's what pushed me forward. Uh, despite what is relatively easy gameplay. Like I said, there are like a couple puzzles that I was I had to like think about for a minute, but at the end of the day, this is not a challenging game. This is a beautiful story. Well, you've certainly won me over, Walter. That all sounds fantastic. Um, and I can't stress enough, if you haven't already, go, go look up the Steam page. The art here is gorgeous, um, which is exactly what you need for, for a game with this kind of identity to it. Um, I'll, I'll just give a shout out. Uh, Wee Chen Lin uh, was the director, designer, artist, and writer on the game. Um, a couple of people joined in on the design uh, artist and writer front, but you talk about this being a very personal experience, and that's the kind of thing that happens when someone's uh, tapping into a, a personal narrative, which is, I mean, that's what makes good art, right? Is Is being able to connect to something really human. And I'm glad you had that experience with it, man. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a far cry away from God of War twenty eighteen. But I'm, I'm, I'm do you I'm think Kratos would enjoy it? Do you think if Kratos you know got to play behind the frame? I think secretly he would because I think secretly Kratos uh, is an emotional person. Um, he would he wouldn't cry like he would never admit to crying at the end of this game. But I do think him in particular, given, you know, what's going on with him and his life in that game and what happens at the beginning of that game. I think this game would touch a nerve like a, a very beautiful, manly single tear would drip down his face. And then he'd be like, uh, no, Atreus, no, you, you didn't see anything. I promise. No, uh, <laughs> boy, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Perfect. But Chase, that being said, uh, did I finally insult you enough to play God of War 2018? Are we going to get the Chase review of Kratos and Atreus? Or do you have another giant AAA blockbuster to talk about? Man, I am going to disappoint you and so many listeners if there is a belief that God of War 2018 is coming in the near future. Because I know the games list that we have in front of us and... Unfortunately, God of War is going to be a tough one to fit in, but uh, I have been playing something. I don't know if you could call this triple A. Um, this is, I guess, like the double uh, A is the, the best way to describe it. It is, it is a Firaxis game, the people behind the XCOM series. Um, and it's fitting that I talked about comics at the beginning um, because I played Marvel's Midnight Suns. And I mean... This had to happen, right? Like, when you tell me, hey, Chase, there's a game where you play as a whole bunch of Marvel characters that you like um, in an XCOM-style arena um, in which positioning matters um, and you have to, you know, traverse these environments to get the most effectiveness out of what you do. And, oh, by the way, it's a card game with its own deck-building elements. And, oh, by the way... 
Uh, it has some dating sim-esque mechanics where you build bonds up with your fellow uh, Midnight Suns. Yeah, I got to play that game, right? It's, it's kind of insane that it took me this long to do it. But, you know, I kept waiting for it to come out on the Switch and it never did. And then, you know, I got the Steam Deck and it came on sale and I'm like, okay, so I'm doing this now. And that is how I spent 65 hours playing Marvel's Midnight Suns. Um, it has been a, a journey. Uh, there's a lot here to like. Uh, I, I will say I, there's a lot of love put into this game. Um, there, there's a, a lot of heart that the developers uh, at Firaxis put in to make something that was unique, that would connect with Marvel fans, but also have its own narrative and its own, you know, its own story to it um, that, that you could get into. Du there's a lot of parts to put together here. Um, so wh where would you like me to start? Because I could start at about a thousand different places <laughs> and they'd all feel correct. Well, well, here's the thing, right? So I have I have Midnight Suns. It's been on my to possibly playlist for a while. But I guess something that's held me back from it um, has been I loved a game back in the kind of the late 2000s called Marvel Legends. Okay. Loved it. It was like a four. It, it, it was a multiple character. It, it was almost like Lego where you had multiple characters on the screen in your party at once. So you could like swap in between them and they all had abilities. And it was like a beat em up. It was, you know, a kind of a linear kind of beat em up. And I think the second one when they made it, they made it a bit more open world in between. But when I found out this game wasn't just Marvel Legends, you know, but for the 2020s, I, I was very disappointed Despite the fact that I do very much enjoy uh, Firaxis games, that I do very much enjoy uh, the the XCOM series, right? Um, mm -hmm. That I do enjoy, you know, Sid Meier's Civilizations. I enjoy a lot of what they do, um, but I but I just stayed away from it because I was like, yeah, but I want Marvel Legends. So I guess Chase. Does this match what you would expect an XCOM-like game to be? And follow-up question, how does it expand upon that? Because these are superheroes. Like, they can't just be like, I shoot the thing at someone. So, here's the thing. Um, people have talked about how this game was received favorable reviews. It was well-liked by critics, and it didn't sell as well as they had hoped. And I think one of the things that they, uh, if they could do it over again, I think they'd probably do a little bit differently, uh, is selling it as being close to the XCOM series. Because it's not close to the XCOM series. Um, there is no percentage chance that your cards are going to misfire here. Uh, it is a card game. It is a deck-building card game um, similar to like a, a Slay the Spire, but not a roguelike. Um, and you know, as, as far as like, it is turn-based, certainly like most card games are, are inherently turn-based. Um, but the, the part that I, I think they were trying to connect to the XCOM side of it is that it is a very movement-based game. You are in an environment that has all these different obstacles and things, obstacles that you can spend your heroism points, which is kind of your, your mana in this game, uh, to get free attacks for. You can ultimately uh, play three cards a turn, 
Um, though there are some cards that have the free tags, so you can get away with those. Um, you start with zero heroism, so you have to use weaker attacks that add to your heroism count. And then use those to kind of stack up and use your stronger abilities that tend to either be AoE or do massive damage or have some other benefit that you can take advantage of. Um, there are some abilities called quick abilities that are weaker, but if they kill one of like the, the, the henchmen type, right? The people who fall in a single hit because of course Hydra has a bunch of those just weaker henchmen type amidst the more like mini bosses and, and uh, more like, like trained soldiers in their ranks. Um, you can get a, a refund on that. Um, but it's this mix of attacks which are free, will give you a heroism point or two, um, but deal a bit of damage. Your skills, which don't do damage, will, but will get you usually heroism points and accentuate your character in some way. And then your heroic abilities, which spend those heroism points to do any number of things based on your character. And of course, this is a game that has a bunch of different characters, right? So, you know, you've got Captain America, you've got Iron Man, you've got Scarlet Witch. Eventually, she starts as a villain. It's fine. Um, but you also get a lot of like the, the darker characters, um, the, you know, the, the more Midnight Suns-esque when you think about the flavor of that. Your, your Blades, your Nico Minoru's, uh, which shout out to Nico. Uh, love seeing some Runaways love in this game. Um, your Doctor Stranges of the world, right? Um, and, you know, each of them plays differently, right? Blade is your vampire hunter. He inflicts bleed on opponents and does a lot of things to do damage over time and uh, nick a bunch of uh, enemies a bit to try to wear them down. Uh, Nico is, uh, you know, your roulette character. A lot of her abilities are randomly determined when you draw them, how, what exactly, like, what bonus thing they'll do. And, you know, some of them will have, like, if you kill a unit, you get to cast it again for free. Uh, Spider-Man is around, and he's very much about using his environment and swinging from obstacle to obstacle in order to use them to your advantage. Uh, and as you level up, right, you get more experience with them. You'll both unlock better cards, which will replace the stuff in your starter deck. Um, cards that can then be upgraded later on back at your base. Um, but you'll also uh, eventually build up relationships with them that give them these kind of uh, passive abilities that then accentuate the characters and give them a more defined role. So it's, it's much closer to a, a card game with individual hero decks that each have their own kind of flavor to them, each have their own individual mechanics like you would expect from a Slay the Spire-esque game that just so happens to have an environment and some obstacles that you can interact with than it is an XCOM game that happens to have some card bits. Uh, and I think that the disparity between that is one of the things that made it so that people who would probably like this game didn't realize it was as much for them as they thought and why some people who were really excited for some XCOM stuff probably bounced off of it and was like, well, I, 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 I'm not a card game person this way. That's very interesting. And, and it's funny that you highlight like the card game aspect of it, because I think that's something that would have drawn me in more to it. That would have mm -hmm. pulled me in versus XCOM. Cause like, it's kind of ridiculous to me to think, okay, what kind of enemy would Iron Man need to be against for him to miss you know, one of his shots, 
right? He's got yeah. a fucking targeting computer in there. Like, what? how are you going to convince me that, like, oh, yeah, a 98% is going to miss? Or, like, XCOM, like, okay, I get it. It's a bullet. It's a gun. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, XCOM has that. Whereas, you know, and they're super soldiers, but they're not, like, superheroes, right? You're not doing this, like, really crazy power fantasy necessarily with XCOM until you get much, much later into the game. You you buy into the, like, sort of survival aspect of it at the front and understand, unless you're safe scumming, hey, I'm probably going to lose some units. Hey, I, I need to be more careful. I need to take more risks. I need to be willing to let someone just, you know, pull all this aggro so the re- we can get the objective done. Like, all of these things. Whereas this does now, because of the card aspect of it, seems like it is uh, fulfilling that sort of power fantasy of playing Blade, playing Doctor Strange, playing Spider-Man, playing all these characters uh, that you brought up. I guess the other thing that has sort of kept me from playing this game, and Chase, you're not allowed to use the gameplay now to dissuade me from this comparison... Chase, what's the okay. difference between this and Fire Emblem Three Houses? Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot that makes this different than Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, but I suppose uh, the biggest thing, right, is that um, Three Houses, you're very much, you know, you're, you're, you're managing your, your individual inventory to a micro level, right? You're, you're constantly getting new... Uh, weapons, repairing the weapons that you have, uh, you're training up very specific skills. This streamlines a lot of that, right? You have the cards that you upgrade, but you can only ever have two uh, copies of a single card in your deck, and you know the upgrade system is basically taking two copies and gluing them onto each other for a better result. Um, you don't have like equipment that you need to manage. Um, though you do have like item cards that you can bring into battle that you can either craft, uh, via blueprints, or you can go out into the open world around the Abbey and, uh, which is kind of your home base, um, and, uh, and, and collect like ingredients that you can then craft and we'll get to that. Um, but it's much more of a, I don't, I Direct is maybe not the right word because there's certainly both stories that have like an overarching quest um, that you are trying to follow and your individual bits along the way and you're checking in on all of your characters in between missions to make sure that everyone's happy and whatnot. Um, But, you know, even outside of the gameplay, which is obviously just a different genre of game. Uh, it's just a different level of how you're being asked to engage with it. Um, Fire Emblem does not have a bunch of environmental puzzles for you to go solve, um, to explore the wilderness around the Abbey and unlock powers for your main character, who is known as the Hunter, um, because they are meant to hunt down uh, Lilith, who is this... um, uh, kind of dark uh, witch who has uh, been corrupted by the dark god Cthon, um, and is also your mom. <gasps> dun dun dun. Um, and <laughs> you have to go around and unlock all these powers and the secrets of the Abbey and whatnot. And and that makes it a little bit more free flowing from that angle than like a Three Houses ever was, I suppose. Um, 
Does that does that answer your question? I, yeah, I, I wasn't. It's quite a curveball there. I'll be honest. Yeah, with you. I, I guess my question more should have been: Does the relationship building aspect feel oppressive? Like you absolutely have to do that because I do know that's like part of the Fire Emblem series. Is like, yeah, you really should be having these relationship conversations because it makes your you know unit stronger when they're together, and it you're you're playing you're playing a Fire Emblem game partly for the relationship stuff and to try and get the the pairings that you want together and to try and figure out which units work best together and, and all those types of things. So I guess that's my one concern here with Midnight Suns is does that feel very, very necessary to the game? So I guess you'll have to, def- like, I guess it depends on how you see necessary. Um, the the big key, I think, that'll, that'll help assuage your fear here is that all of your other heroes don't have relationships with each other. The only thing you're managing is the relationship between you, the player character, the hunter, and all of them. Uh, And as a leader, right, you need to go and check in on people and see how they're doing and listen to their thoughts, fears, concerns, hopes, dreams, etc., right? That's just being a leader. Um, But this is a character-driven game, and as a result, yeah, you do engage with these characters. Um, They're not particularly long scenes, um, but there are, you know, they are the path through which you uh, upgrade those individual uh, heroes um, with the increased passives and uh, other sort of benefits that they can get. So it's you can't ignore that, but I also don't know why you would, because it's the best part of the, the uh, narrative building that this game has to offer, is connecting with these individual characters that you've read about and, and getting to fully understand some aspects of them that uh, you wouldn't otherwise. Uh, and the Abbey has like clubs that we'll meet regularly. There's a, like an emo kids club. That's all the, like the dark sorcerer people trying to figure out how your character died the first time. Spoiler alert. You died already the first time you tried to do this. Um, well, yeah, it's Marvel. Of course I already died. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm very facetious when I say spoiler, it's literally the first thing that happens is you getting resurrected. (laughs) Um, but like, uh, there's also um, the shop club where all of your inventor types are like going out and experimenting and building some new tech stuff. And then there's book club. Uh, and uh, it's a really nice little collection of, of heroes who want to talk about some books that you get to read. And there's plenty of that kind of like lore around the Abbey that you can read if you want to. Um, so there, you know, a lot of those individual stories really help the characters shine. And that's, theoretically part of why you play a game called Marvel's Midnight Suns, right? You should theoretically like these Marvel characters and want to spend time with them. And, uh, you know, this, <laughs> I may be giving away the next part of what I'm going to say here, but uh, the character stuff is definitely stronger from a narrative perspective and what you're going to connect to than the narrative is. Um, so I, I don't know why you'd want to forego that, I suppose. Well, and and funnily enough, that was going to be my next question was getting into kind of the overall narrative, because when you do something like that, you do need to kind of create something from scratch, right? You can't, you can't just always be like, yep, I'm going to take these hundred comics and we're just going to follow this story because then the people that read those comics like already know where it's going. And I'm sure there's some way that they can kind of game the system to you know, make sure that they're getting the best outcome versus the outcome that you as the designer kind of want. Do you feel that the, 
I, I'm going to say this and I don't want it to be pejorative, but it's going to end up being pejorative. The fan fiction in here, their own story overshadows, blocks out what is the actual like Marvel lore. So uh, I want to correct a couple of misconceptions here. Uh, the first is the idea that there is any narrative to gamify. This is a linear narrative experience. Um, there, there's no like endings you can opt into any alternate paths that would lead you in a different direction. Um, you can have some slightly different dialogue options based on the kind of main character you like to be, but the narrative is the same. So this is not one of those, like it could be gamified even if it was based on an older property. Um, that said, this is something like it was written alongside comics people and they did publish a, a literal comic book. Uh, when Midnight Suns came out, called Midnight Suns. You can go read it. It's fine. The game's... Well, I... It's fine. Um, the thing about the game's narrative, and I, this breaks my goddamn heart, Walter, because I... Again, I've spent 65 hours with this game. There is a lot of love that was put into this. Um, and you can tell there's a real affection for the characters and you can tell that there's a real desire to tell something that feels very Marvel. And it does. Like, this is a world-shattering kind of thing. There's a, a dark god, Cthon, that is trying to kind of take over the world. Um, the, the being that can bring him back was resurrected by Hydra because a fucking course Hydra did. Um, and you are the hunter, the one person that could stop the midnight sun prophecy, the, the sun going eternally black, the sky going green, um, and, and the whole world kind of unraveling, um, which is what gets all of these heroes together in a singular spot to take care of this with a weird mix of, of both uh, demonic and Hydra agents uh, <laughs> working together. Um, but the... Walter, there's a reason that strategy games don't typically have a lot of narrative. Um, and the reason is that if you want people to uncover things in their own time, uh, then you don't know where they are when you write the narrative for those individual missions, right? You don't know if they've encountered this side quest that you were able to go explore in the overworld. They don't know... Um, whether you have done the DLC, what the DLC even, you know, whether you've interacted with that or not, right? Like there's um, that whole side of, of the narrative and, and how that affects things. They need to have the story make sense whether you played that or not. And so you get to this point where there's a whole bunch of scenes that should happen that just don't happen for a very long time. Like, I was one of those people. I just explored as much of the Abbey as I could. I wanted to see all the powers. I wanted to see all the things, solve all the mysteries, because there are a whole bunch of mysteries around this place that you can go solve. Um, and so I found out relatively earlier in the narrative um, that Lilith, my mom, had sacrificed herself to the Dark God to keep our main character uh, alive uh, from an illness that had that uh, that she had gathered um, and had killed her dad. Like this was like, you know, her, her mom was willing to, you know, 
you know, wasn't going to turn to the dark arts to protect her husband, but for you, her only child, she would do anything. And that's how she falls into the clutches of a dark god. And that's a really powerful thing, right? You know, a, a mom willing to sacrifice herself for her child is something we can all relate to. But I uncovered that pretty early, Walter. Do you know when they, the game acknowledges this? And when the game actually lets you acknowledge this to your mom in the dreams that you have all the time? Like, literally after every mission in the entire fucking game? Uh, between the, the penultimate mission and the final mission. That's the one. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right before the end. And it's like, you, you... None of the conversations we had to this point make sense anymore because I know this already. Even the way that, like, oh, caretaker's hiding things from you. No, she fucking isn't. I discovered this already. We had that conversation. She admit that she was wrong for hiding things from me. So this entire thing is fucking meaningless. It doesn't line up. And there are so many things, like in the, the main, um, you know, you do the DLC missions, right? And one of the DLC missions, you, you end up having to, to fight uh, Mephisto and his demonic forces. Uh, don't, don't ask. Peter Parker signs a bad deal to help Venom out. It's a, it's a whole thing. But then you get to the, the part of the main story where Mephisto comes up. And in the main story, it makes no fucking sense for Mephisto to be as much of a character as he is in this. Um, but he's like, ooh, I've been wanting to see you for a long time. And it's like, motherfuck, I battled your armies not three hours ago in this DLC mission that I had to do. Oh, 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 nope, I got it. I, I, hang on. Multiverse. Uh -huh. Nope, nope. See, I, I get where you're coming from on that, but no. Um, it's the same. Um, the multiverse is a, a thing that is established, and this can't be explained by that. Um... It's just like, it's the kind of writing that you do when you want to give players an open world. You want to give them the freedom to explore. You want to give them the freedom to encounter a narrative at their own pace and in their own way. And you shouldn't fucking do that. Like, linear narratives, I think, sometimes get uh, looked down upon by some people. But there's a reason that linear narratives exist, right? Because sometimes order of operations matters. It affects the way that every scene is interpreted. There are details that you want to see explored and, and taken out. And, you know, you there's just like these constant disconnects, you know? Uh, you'll have a scene, right, where like, let's say Blade, for example. You've built up a, a strong friendship with Blade. You just had a whole scene. You got to level four and he's like, you know, I'm so glad I let you in and we're, we're doing this thing together and this is all going great. And then you go to the next story mission. And he's like, I can't trust you. How could I trust anyone? It's like, Mother we just did this. You just said, I, I, I proved this to you already. We had a, it was a whole thing. Do you not remember the conversation? And of course he doesn't because the game was written, not knowing whether or not you would have had that support scene with him or not. So they couldn't have known. And it's just, it's such a shame it's such a shame because those disconnects pull you out of a game that very clearly wants to be narrative driven. Like it has these overarching, very like clear comic book moments. It uses characters like Crossbones and Sabretooth and, um, you know, the Hulk ends up be turning into a big bad for a little bit. And you have all of these different interconnected pieces. You know, some of the characters that you're relying on, right, are like, you know, Agatha Harkness and, uh, and Sarah, 
Um, both characters you would probably know better from Marvel Snap than you would from anything they've been in otherwise. And you get like this heartbreaking tale of Agatha dying because Scarlet Witch was trying to do some magical stuff and Agatha pushed her too far and the, the experiment went wrong and Sarah is struggling to forgive Scarlet Witch for that because Agatha was Sarah's wife and she misses her wife a whole bunch because when you've been married to someone for thousands of years or so, it's it sucks when they're gone, you know? Uh, there's some good stuff in here. Um, and it is hindered and, and kneecapped so many times because the game gave you freedom that you didn't want and you didn't need and it didn't help. And that sucks. <laughs> it's a shame because a lot of this could have landed a lot better than it did. So what I'm learning here is don't do any of the relationship conversations until the very end of the game, I guess. No, absolutely not. Then you'll be confused for different reasons. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I guess, depending on if you, like, if you don't have the DLC, I think not playing the DLC would lead to a more cohesive experience. It's a shame because, like, Deadpool and Morbius are two very fun characters to play. So, like... You know, I feel bad recommending that you don't do it, but at least it would then make a little bit of sense, um, a little bit more sense narratively. But I mean, like, you know, you can always treat it like you treat comic books, right? Like, sometimes characters will be brought up in different books than their main book, and they're not always perfectly accurate to what is going on in the other book. And we all kind of look the same way because, you know, look the other way because... We understand that comic narratives are complicated and interspersed and constantly building on and, and adapting to these other elements. And it means that it can get complicated. And that's fine. It's just, in this case, it's a completely unforced error. Um, and it's one that if this game were to get a sequel, which it won't because it didn't sell well enough to justify one, it could fix. You know what else it could fix, Walter? It could remove a lot of dead weight from this game. Um, the crafting elements are just a waste of fucking time. In fact, I'd say most of the open world stuff tends to be a waste of time. There's some really cool mysteries that you can unpack, but again, if they were all linear missions that you played out in between certain story beats, the game would not have been worse for it, you know? Um, there are like multiple different upgrade systems that you can go through. Um, you know, for, for different types of abilities. And, and some of them are just not nearly as interesting as others. Um, there's kind of a, a weird difficulty curve early that makes you think like, oh, well, I'm constantly behind on these resources, so I need to grind out these regular missions first. And then you get a little bit further and you unlock a technology that makes all of that feel very pointless. Um, so you can save yourself some time. Just keep on playing through the story uh, and trust that um, you'll know if you really need to go do some extra side missions for pure grinding, but all the missions are kind of rescaled based on the level of the characters you bring in, so you never should have to. Um, there's just, like, the core of this is so good. The card game is really fun. A lot of fun mechanics building off of each other. It's a really fun puzzle um, and evocative of all of these heroes. It captures the flavor of each hero really well. It's really well done. Um, the like challenges that you unlock and the way that the card upgrade system works are all really cool. I thought the hangouts were great and the, the clubs and things that you can do 
are a lot of fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed each of those. And then, and then there's the rest of it. Um, and if there was going to be a sequel, you could fix a lot of this, right? The, the bloat um, that's just kind of fine or man just kind of pads things out. You could cut um, and, and you'd have a tighter game for it. Um, there's a lot that, again, came from a place of love, came from a place of people really caring and, and, and maybe having ambition that was bigger than their stomach, so to speak, um, especially on the narrative front. You get the sense that they really wanted to do this open world thing because they wanted to give you agency, and the answer is they shouldn't have. But they wanted to for a reason, right? They, they wanted to give you a, an experience you felt in control over. They wanted you to feel like this was your Marvel story, and at times it does, and it works really well when those times happen. And then there are the parts that undermine what it's building. And it's such a fucking shame. Um, this is stuff that's good's really good. Two, two final questions. Because I want to let you end on a, on a good note before my, my last question, which is, well, do you recommend the game or not? Who is your favorite character? Oh, man. I mean, my favorite character, I... I mean, I'm always going to have to go with with Nico. She's very much... Uh, well, you know what? I, I'm going to say Nico and Magic are my tie here. Um, Nico, just because I, I love everything about her in Runaway. She is the, um, you know, her, her parents were super villains, and she's always kind of had to struggle with that. And, you know, your relationship with her, you help her learn to forgive her parents, not for their sake, but for hers, you know, so that she can kind of, you know, closure is a gift you give yourself and all that. Um, and learning when to tap into her dark powers. You know, if, if you want to help her and, and grow as close to her as you can, uh, you at some point allow, you know, enable her to pursue some some potentially dark powers that could backfire because she really wants to save her friend Scarlet Witch. And if you do, you know, you, you end up, you know, being there and being able to say that you helped her reunite her, her family, so to speak. And, and that means a lot to her. Um, and that feels really satisfying. It's a really nice arc. Um, and magic, I, I just, I love everything about magic. Um, I'm not, a, like I said at the top of the call, I'm not a big X-Man person, but um, anyone who's able to do a whole bunch of portal magic and is technically the ruler of, uh, of Limbo, um, really fun kind of concept. Um, she's, uh, you know, there's a whole kind of little side arc where like, Nico's trying to throw her a birthday party that she very clearly doesn't want. And when she eventually like cuts the cake with her portal sword and just smashes everything to bits, um, she ends up going into hell and, and you get these like really interesting flashbacks of when Mephisto kind of tricked her into taking on this role and you end up in this cabin that she's built for herself and um, you just listen to music together. Like she just needs to to vibe and listen to some music that she could connect to from her childhood. And, you know, she's like, you know, you do you want to talk about these things? And if you want the best answer, you're like, no, we could just sit here and, and do this together. And that's enough. Um, and it's a really sweet moment. It's it's there's some really touching character bits in here. There's a lot of love for all of these superheroes. Um, and it matters. Um, I, those, those are definitely the moments where the game's the strongest. I know nothing about either of those characters. So I, I assume that having those moments would help me 
learn their stories and, and potentially connect to them in the way that, uh, that you did. And, and yes. ultimately my, you know, final question is someone who does own this game. Uh, do you recommend it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. With some asterisks. Um, <laughs> well, of course, Chase. You just like you know you criticized a bunch of points in the game, but yeah. Well, it's it's just like the the thing is, what's great about this game is so good. And if you would, if if the things that I told you don't turn you off, if you don't mind, if it has the traditional open world narrative problem where because story beats can happen independent of each other, that sometimes there's some disconnect stuff then I think you're going to have a fantastic time. I think the reason that I, I think about it so much and I get so frustrated with it is because it's clearly trying to have these powerful narrative beats. It's clearly trying to replicate the best of the superhero movie genre. And so it's frustrating to see it come just short when so many people clearly worked so hard to try to get it there. But I will always take a game with high ambitions that flies a little bit too close to the sun over a game that plays it safe and doesn't have anything to say. This game has a lot of moments that are worth paying attention to. It has a lot of things that are worth seeing and experimenting with and, and trying. And in a better world where this game sold as well as it reviewed, we would be getting a Midnight Suns 2 game that would be fucking amazing. Um, I, I think the sequel to this game that could learn from the lessons of this one would be fantastic. Um, as it stands, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I, I illuminated enough as to what you would or, or would not like about this, that you can decide for those variables, um, which ones are more important to you. If you just want a good card game with some good missions and some nice flavor and some, some good character beats along the way, Midnight Suns is fantastic. I, I spent 65 hours finishing this game for a reason, right? I have not finished Fire Emblem Engage, but I finished this fucking game. So take that as its own recommendation. Um, but man, I, I, I wish we could see the game that this is, uh, that this could have inspired. Um, so, I, I, you know, uh, it, it is what it is, but hopefully... Um, this podcast has uh, had, uh, much like Midnight Suns, more ups than downs. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on uh, both of these games that we played. If you've tried out Midnight Suns or, or you uh, are super interested in going behind the frame, um, we'd love to hear from you at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter. Uh, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, still on Twitter as of time of recording, although someone has promised me a Blue Sky invite. So uh, we'll we'll see if maybe by the time this comes out, I'm, I'm over there at some point, and then we're going to have to do the slow chain of starting to pull some friends over. Um, but as Chase said, you can follow the podcast also on Twitter at Rough Drafts Pod. You can also follow the podcast on your uh, uh, podcast platform of choice, either on the individual Steam Cleaner and Final Cut feeds or on the combined 
Rough Drafts podcast feed. Go listen to the Barbenheimer episodes. Uh, I know this is the gaming podcast and some of you don't like movies, but go listen to those episodes. Uh, There is a moment where Kristen and I both literally in the exact same second uh, state a movie that Chase forgot. And I have the fucking audition file to prove we literally said it at the exact same second. It is fucking incredible that we did that. So uh, go listen to those. Yeah, it, it, it's a great time. Absolutely give that a shot. Um, you know, that's why we have the main feed where you get both of these lovely shows. Um, you can find me at Chase Wassener on Twitter. I, I, too, would love to be sequestered off to Blue Sky, though. When that will be, I do not know. Uh, in the meantime, I will allow my brain to continue to be poisoned by the artist formerly known as Twitter. But come back two weeks from now, where Walter and I, I, I think... You know, we we say at the top of these episodes that the conceit is that we each play different games, uh, games that we've never played before. And half of that will still be true two weeks from now, but perhaps half of it will not. So come back in two weeks to find out which. And until then, goodbye, Internet.